Blessing me to be back in the pulpit um, last week, having enjoyed uh, Pastor Ebo from Knoxville, a uh, former professional boxer. Yeah, he was great. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy that I've come to get to know over the last couple of years, and we've become friends. And as a matter of fact, I look forward to visiting him in Knoxville, uh, hopefully in 2015, and getting out that way. And we've even talked about having Ebo come back here and using him as an outreach and letting him do some boxing clinics with local young kids and stuff like that. So him and I have been talking about different things. And uh, so it was great uh, having him here last. And then Pastor Randy, uh, our assistant pastor, shared the week before when I was in Florida, I was suffering where it's 87 air, 86 water temperature down there. Uh, and uh, really, really, it was uh, a a nice time down there. Uh, there's no nip fall air like that where we were down in Sarasota, that area. But uh, we had a great time, but it's good to be back in the pulpit. I don't know if you missed me, but I missed you, and uh, I missed uh, sharing the Word of God. And then in the next couple of weeks on Wednesday nights, uh, the Ezekiel study, these are some fantastic chapters coming up. Uh, the, God's love for Jerusalem, different things. So you're not going to want to miss uh, what we're going to be doing. And then uh, Probably I'm going to take a step away from Ezekiel for a period of time and do a discipleship series. There's a couple that I'm looking at uh, that will be practical, application-specific uh, study series that we'll do, and uh, I'll give you more information on that. I'm still praying exactly what that outline looks like. Uh, but through the month of uh, uh, October here, we'll continue in Ezekiel and some just uh, powerful chapters that we'll look at. Uh, in the next couple of weeks. But if your Bibles are with you, uh, turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 9. We're in the ninth chapter. It's a long chapter. It's taken us a while. And again, I've been away from Luke 9 for two weeks to add to that. Uh, but it is a long chapter, and uh, we're going to look at uh, a great uh, miracle, uh, one that uh, Jesus performs on his way down after he comes out down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 37 to 42. And then I'm going to have you turn left to Mark chapter 9, which is only one book to the left in your Bible, and we'll look at the same exact account from Mark's gospel. Let's look at it from both uh, Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel. Uh, first, in Luke, it's the shorter version, starting in verse 37, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 37, now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out and convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long Shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. Take a left turn to Mark chapter 9. Let's look at the same account in Mark's gospel. There's a few other uh, details that Mark's gospel gives us. Mark chapter 9, Mark 9 and Luke 9, same exact um, follows the same pattern, Mount of Transfiguration is the first part of Mark 9. And then starting with verse 14, Mark 9 verse 14, we'll pick up with the same story. And when he, had come to the when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. 
And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell to the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. A great verse to underline in your Bible, by the way. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears. How many have prayed like this before? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried and cried out, convulsed him greatly. He came out and became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. When he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Let's pray again. Father, we ask your spirit to speak to us. Lord, reveal to us by your spirit what you wrote to your servant Mark, what you wrote to your servant Luke, and Lord, what you want us to walk in this morning and throughout our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a pastor who was visiting one of the families in his church. And the mother of the house, she was uh, trying to impress the pastor about how devout and how spiritual she was. And she was pointing out the very large Bible on the bookshelf. And she was talking of it in a very reverent way, and referring to it as the Word of God. And her young son, then he interrupted the conversation she was having with the pastor and says, well, if that's God's book, we better send it back because we never read it. And that's the faith of many people, isn't it? That they have a faith that they know a, ma- they know a certain amount, they, they know certain things to say, they have a, uh, an exterior of some level of spirituality But when push comes to shove, when there's real trials, when there's real difficulties, what faith will they really be falling back on? Is the Bible on the shelf or is the Bible in us? It's a big, big difference, isn't it? Jesus is using this as a teaching lesson for the disciples. They have a lot of knowledge and information too, don't they? They've been with him. But they didn't really have a whole lot to give in this situation, did they? There wasn't much happening. Not until he arrived on the scene. There's a very difficult situation here. You've got a father in, in his desperate state. And there's situations like this all over the planet, aren't there? You can go around Richmond. There's some here. Living in this world itself is difficult. 
many times it's difficult, I should say. There, there are times, there are good days. We love those, right? When everything goes smooth sailing. There are those good days. There are days that are easier than others. But there's also days that can be very, very trying and not necessarily when we expect it. Just this week, um, some of you might have saw that Pastor Steve Mays, Calvary Chapel, South Bay, went in for back surgery and died a couple days later. 64 years of age. To some of you, that's old. To some of you, that's not old. I'm 45 now. 64 doesn't seem that old to me. My brother's 10 years older than me. He's 55. So I, I kind of can link the chain. It doesn't seem... I, I know a lot. My in-laws are you know, they're very active in their early 60s. I know a lot of people. Steve Mays, we thought, because Pastor Chuck lived into his late 80s, we thought Steve Mays had 20-some years left of preaching left. God says, no, he's coming home to join Pastor Chuck the day before Chuck's one-year anniversary of going home to be with the Lord, which was Friday the 3rd. Now, for Steve May's family, this is a trying and difficult time that they were not expecting. Now, matter of fact, the whole church there is grieving. It's a very large Calvary Chapel there on the West Coast. And so difficulties can come. You can have smooth sailing days. You can have difficult days. Some are easy. Some are very trying. And sometimes... Those trying days, maybe they're just something you are battling with individually. They're just something that you only know about. No one else knows about it but you and the Lord. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's something. And they can last for a longer period of time, can't they? They're what we call valleys in our life. Valleys. You can have these valleys. Some valleys seem like they won't end. You just are in them a long time. And fear... And anxiety just of facing these things can start to overwhelm us. Why do you think we're the most medicated country on earth? You know that, right? I read a study that we, I, I, don't quote me on the stat, but it's somewhere, I'm in the range here, it's, it was between 70 and 80% of all prescription drugs are used by the United States worldwide. Imagine if Pfizer and them can convince the rest of the world to do the same. Talk about billions in profits, Right? But we have all of these things, and they really can cause stress, and they really can cause anxiety, and they really can overwhelm. Think of this father and the situation observing day after day after day of what's happening with his son. The enemy, though, he wants these trials and difficulties. He wants the trials and difficulties to cause us to live in constant fear and in constant stress and in constant anxiety. You believe that? That's what Satan wants. He's doing really good work there, by the way. Very successful. The enemy wants to convince us that there's no hope. Think about the ministry of Jesus. He's confronting these things all the time. But the enemy wants to convince people there's no hope, there's no solution, there's nothing to do but worry and be afraid and be defeated and really just waste life away in that condition. And many people live that way. And I don't care how long you've been saved, even if you're a mature believer, you still will have those moments that are the same, where they'll just enter in. Fears will enter in. Difficulty comes. I wasn't expecting this. An unexpected injury. Time laid up. All of these things, they can bring depression. All of these things can happen. Jesus, however, Jesus, however, he presents us with, and I love this, listen to this, Jesus presents us with a completely 
different promise and reality. Not just promise, reality. See, Satan wants a reality for us of fear and dominated by there's no hope. This situation's hopeless. I'll never get out of it. Our kids are going to be lost. Everything, there's no, no one can help. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'll give you a different promise and a different reality. A, Jesus says, I can help. And B, I can deliver you from whatever the problem is. He invites all of us by faith. Notice what he says, you faithless. He uses the word faith-led. But he invites us by faith to see him move mightily on our behalf, regardless of the situation, regardless of the odds. Doesn't matter about our previous experiences. My previous experience says, I even like to say, a pessimist is an optimist with experience. My father-in-law loved that one when I told him that, because he's very, very, but you know, I said, no, you can't use that as an excuse. You can use it. And there's an element of truth to that. We, we're wise if we've seen things. We, we kind of uh, uh, assess situations differently, but the Lord still says, regardless of past experience, past defeats, Jesus says, I have a different reality, a different promise. I can knife through anything that you're dealing with. But the faith that Jesus calls us to, it will challenge our thinking. It will challenge our thinking. It will challenge our comfort levels. It will challenge our preferences. Jesus says, the faith that I ask you to have will challenge your preferences. It will challenge your habits. It will challenge our flesh. We don't like our flesh to be challenged. We like the river to row in the exact direction and the course that we have designated. And that's not the way it happens. But you know what? When we accept the faith that he wants us to want, it's always going to be worth it. Always going to be worth it. I look at the outreach yesterday. I have, I'm like everybody else. I had a million reasons to say, Lord, what if this fails? What if only five people show up? What if two people show up? What if nobody shows up? And, and the Lord's like, did I give you the donation money? Yes. Did I give you the field? Yes. Did I clear the weather? Yes. Did I bring a lot of people out to help? Yes. Did I give you hot dogs? Yes. Did I give you buns? Yes. Give you all down the list. It's like, you're not responsible for any of the results. I am. And I've never failed anyone. God certainly doesn't fail himself. And so the Lord, you'll never look back and say, man, I wish I hadn't have done that for God. I wish I'd have just done something for myself instead. Man, I wish I wouldn't have done that for the Lord. I wish I would have just spent my time doing something completely different than reaching out to people. All of these things are faith. This is a different situation of faith, but faith is always moving forward according to the Word of God. That's what faith is. Whatever God says, we do. That's what faith is. If He says, don't fear, you don't fear. And you'd say, well, I still am afraid. Keep quoting the verses. Keep quoting the verses until the enemy's driven out. But you see, there's even something else about faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is so important to us even maintaining that close walk with the Lord. 
Because if we stop walking in faith, we'll eventually walk in the flesh. And then everything else comes in. Not just doubts, but then all other kinds of sin and all those other things come in. Everything the Lord allows us in our life, everything He allows to come into our life, is for us to grow in faith. This is for the apostles. This is for the man in the story. This is for the people that are observing. Anything that God allows in our life is for us to grow in faith and to trust Him more and to stop putting trust in who? Ourselves. Just been the problem all the way back. Man trusting in himself. Uh, you can no more trust in yourself than you can just say, uh, I will make sure that every organ in my body works perfectly today. That's up to the Lord. We can't make these things happen. It's trusting in the Lord, not ourselves. Jesus said in John 15, 5, you know I quote this probably a dozen, well, maybe a hundred times a year, I don't know. For without me you can do nothing. That's it. And to believe that, and then to walk in it, is walking forward in faith. If you're taking notes, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, faith or faithless. Faith or faithless. Using the words that Jesus used, faithless generation here. Faith or faithless. And we'll look at three things from the text this morning briefly. Fear, frustration, and faithful. Right from the actual text itself. Fear, frustration, and then lastly, what the Lord wants us to be, faithful. Now you notice here, I'm not going to go back to the Mark. You don't have to turn back to Mark at the moment because I'll refer back to things that Mark recorded. But I wanted you to see the two accounts side by side so you understand the full context of what took place before, during, and after. Jesus coming down from the mountain. Then in, uh, he sees the multitude. They see him. He sees the Father. He asks the question, what's going on? How long has this been happening? Of course, Jesus knows all that. He's diagnosing where the Father's at uh, for everybody else to see. He heals the Son, but then you have the disciples afterwards asking, why couldn't we cast out this demon? What, why were we powerless in this situation? And that's a big thing we have to ask ourselves. Why are we powerless? So many times, why are we powerless? And God will pinpoint what it is. It's not on God's end if we're powerless. It's always going to be on our end. But we'll look at these three things, fear, frustration, and faithful. Now notice that Jesus, uh, starting verse 10, he comes down the mountain. Comes down the mountain. Now if you're with us, you got to go back three weeks when I shared from the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was up there. Remember, he showed his glorified, uh, at least a portion of his glory, uh, to uh, Peter, James, and John, and uh, Moses and Elijah there, meet there with the Lord to comfort the Lord Jesus because he's now going to set his face towards where? Jerusalem to go to the cross. But he shows a little bit of his glory, which is enough to be blinding like the lightning in the sky, and it's gorgeous and it's incredible. And he went up there to pray and they see his glory. But now he's coming down the mountain with three that were up there and experienced what we call mountaintop experiences, Right? They were up there, and they saw the Lord in His glory, but now they're coming down. The other disciples, the other nine, they're stuck in the valley. Jesus comes down the mountain to them. He comes down, and just as He came down uh, from heaven, purposely He came down from heaven uh, into the pain and bondage of the world, He comes down from the mountain where it was the glory and Moses and Elijah and the voice of God. He comes down into the problems of daily life. He comes down the mountain and he encounters this desperate dad. 
And there's a lot of desperate dads in the world, isn't there? A lot of dads that are uh, desperate for different reasons. Maybe they've blown it. Maybe they have problems they can't solve. They just lost their job. They might have a child that uh, has leukemia or all kinds of things. But this desperate dad has a son that is possessed by a demon. And I would argue that there's uh, young people possessed by demons, even in our own country, more than people would guess. Uh, any of you that work with adolescents in uh, either psychiatric or the prison system, uh, you'll see that some of this is probably more than our medical folks would ever diagnose. But nevertheless, this was happening, and Jesus was completely aware when it was a demon and when it was just like a medical condition. This boy was possessed, and he was actually causing great harm to the child. Now, his father was greatly troubled, and rightly so. How many parents here would not, wouldn't you be concerned if something, even if you didn't know it was a demon, your child would every now and then convulse, they'd crack their head on the ground, they'd have bruises all over their body, foaming at the mouth, and they would throw themselves into fire or even throw themselves into water and not be able to swim, and you have to jump in and get them out. Throw themselves into water, he'd throw himself into fire. The Scriptures tell us this, that these are two things that would happen on a fairly regular basis. This child is suffering greatly, uh, in the mind suffering, in the body suffering, and he's under the control of a demonic spirit. And the father is helpless to do anything about it. Nobody can fix it. No medical doctors can fix it, kind of like the woman with the issue of blood. Nobody's been able to solve this situation. He's helpless. He's afraid of the very next episode. You don't know when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen. Maybe we're in Walmart. They didn't have Walmart then, but anyway. Wherever it was, when it was going to happen, would we, have, would we be there? What if he's thrown in the water and we're not around and he drowns? What if he's thrown into a fire and we're not around and he burns to death? When's the next episode? It could very well be the last one. Now think, this is a true story that really happened. But there's also a spiritual parallel with this. Parents, think about this. Satan wants to drown your child in the world. Do you know that? He wants to drown your child in the world. He wants to totally control their bodies. Oh yeah, he wants to use their bodies big time. And he wants to totally control their minds Oh, by the way, he wants you as parents to be helpless to stop it. And for millions of parents and children, he's been just as successful doing that as he was then. He wants them completely disconnected from their parents. That there's no real communication because one's mind is in this world and the other mind's over here. He wants them completely disconnected. He wants them to die young. Satan wants them to die young. And ultimately, he wants to throw them in the same fire where he is headed. This is what Jesus is really confronting here. He's confronting a real situation, but it has a spiritual parallel to it that Satan wants to grab every child, drown them in the world, completely control them, mind, body, and spirit, and bring them with him to eternal fire. And Jesus does the opposite. He comes to take the child and rescue them from, and by the way, also help the parent, put them both back together, and they all be made whole. Broken families, broken lives. We have a fierce adversary. Wouldn't you agree? Satan is real. 
If you're not watching the news, if you don't see the brutality that's taking place in the Middle East, we have a very fierce adversary. Satan is real. Demonic forces are real. The spirit of this world is real. The world system is real. The allures and temptations to your kids and to yourselves are real. Temporary pleasures are real. All of these things are real. Our problems are real too, aren't they? All of them. Our problems are real. And knowing that all the opposition to us, good night, just knowing, <laughs> you can be afraid just when you realize how imperfect we personally are, right? Just go look in the mirror, you can get afraid, right? And you look in the mirror and say, I, I know the guy in the mirror. And that alone is enough. But then we know we have all kinds of opposition that's real. These things can be genuinely frightening, genuinely disturbing, cause a lot of anxiety. And Satan, as I mentioned, he wants us dominated by fear. You know that? That's why Jesus says in Matthew 10, 26. He says it in Luke 12. He says it in Revelation 2.10. Luke 12.7, I think it is. 12.7. Uh, Revelation 2.10. Jesus says, do not fear. But he says it numerous other times too. Those are just three examples I can give you. Do not fear. Be not afraid. Why? Because Satan knows if we walk in fear, we will walk away from faith. Fear is the opposite. You can either fear the Lord or you can fear everything else. True? The fear of the Lord actually brings peace. The fear of everything else brings everything but peace. Why do you think people turn to alcohol? and drugs, to numb the fear, to numb the pain, all of these things. Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4 says this, whenever I am afraid, see, the Bible's honest, it tells us, hey, you're still, even when you know not to be afraid, you'll still sometimes, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, now listen to this, I will praise his word, and God I have put my trust, I will not fear. You start to meditate on the word of God, and it drives fear out. And it brings clarity. It brings the truth of God. It brings his wisdom. Our flesh may want to run and hide, but we need to do what this father does. You've got to love that at least this father, maybe he is afraid. He's you know, just been in despair, but he does the right thing. He runs to Jesus. We need to do what this father does. He runs to the Lord. See, our fears fade in his presence. And his answers and his help that we need come in his presence. And by the way, where else could we possibly go? Those of us that know the truth, that's what Peter said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. And he has the words of everything else too. Problems just, you know, with our kids, problems with the marriage, problems with work, all of the things, health issues, all of those things, there's nowhere else to go. We say, well, I've run to Jesus. And so keep running back. Crawl there on your knees. It's not that the Lord is not hearing us. If we're coming with the right heart attitude, it'll all be in his timing. He could have healed this from the mountaintop. You think he didn't know it was happening? Oh, but he didn't know about this situation. Of 
course he knew about that situation. He waited for the right timing. Why? Because he wanted maximum impact so the entire multitude that more people were delivered. When your deliverance comes, it will actually be, if it's in the Lord's will and timing, it'll actually be something that's helpful to other people too, not just you. Isn't that great? Don't you want your, whatever God does for you to actually have a multiplied effect and other people also see their own deliverance, their own uh, setting free, whatever it may be. Let's look at the frustration, though, that's taking place here as well. No doubt this father has a lot of fear, but also frustration. He expresses the frustration. He says in verse 40, uh, I, take, I took him to your disciples to, for some help, but basically they were no help. Your um, apprentices need a lot of work, Right? Your students are not yet the teacher. There's a lot of things that they said they can do, and so far, they're batting zero. I brought, they said that they, they had been trained by you. Bring your son. We'll lay hands on him. We'll anoint him, and you shall see deliverance. Leave, spirit. No change whatsoever. By the way, this wasn't, real fun for the disciples either. You ever had people bring you something and you think you could help and you find out, oh, I can't help you either, right? They look at you as, hey, I think you can help with this situation. But individually for ourselves, it's frustrating. When everything you try brings no change to the situation. You try again, you try again, you try to alter your approach, still no breakthrough. Now the Lord, he allows these times in our life. David writes about them in the Psalms, if you've read, you know, where God wants us to wrestle through, but not give up faith. Wrestle through, but not, not give up faith. Uh, frustrations, when we keep, you can actually start out Listen to this, you can start out with the right attitude about something that God has allowed in your life and end up with the wrong attitude. You guys agree with that? You can start out with the right attitude, but end up with the wrong one. I'll give you a good example of this. You ever heard of Abraham? His initial attitude response, God says, come out of Ur to the land I'm going to show you. Where is it? I'll show you when you get there. Can you give me some coordinates, some GPS coordinates? No. I'll show you when you get there. All right, great. And by the way, you're going to have a son. When? I'm not going to tell you. Now, when you get up in your 70s and 80s like Abraham was, and you start looking at the watch, and then Sarah's also looking at hers and says, <laughs> it ain't going to happen. We've tried. We've tried for years. We still don't have a child. You're frustrated. I'm frustrated. We're arguing in the tent over this. So Sarah comes up with a plan. Genius. Just get Hagar. Beautiful Egyptian girl. How did that work out? You've been watching the news lately? This all goes back to that. All the turmoil in the Middle East goes back to Ishmael. He'll be a wild man. His hand will be against every nation, the Bible says. Frustration can happen. I mean, Abraham started out, 
and him and Sarah had the right response to, for years they had the right response to the frustration of the problem not going away. But they, at some point, looked more at the problem than the providence and perfect will of God, right? Because God was always going to give Abraham a son at the age of 100. He just didn't tell Abraham that. God is always going to do something that we're not expecting and we give up too soon and actually give in to the flesh or do something really dumb. Don't give up. The Lord is saying, yes, you might have gone to the so-called experts and they couldn't help you either. But the so-called experts aren't Jesus. Amen? There's a big difference between a man of God and a shepherd of God and the Son of God and the shepherd. Amen? I mean, I'll pray over something, but the Lord is the one that truly can intervene in any situation. And we can try and fix problems ourselves. But I love that this father, he doesn't. He doesn't do the dumbest thing and just give up. He waits till Jesus comes and brings his son to him. Isn't that great? That father, he showed enough faith. Yes, it might have been mustard seed because he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But the belief was there enough to not give up and he didn't deviate. He didn't go get, well, let me go ahead and try a different religion. Because the apostles, they meant the right thing, but they didn't have any success. He could have said, all right, I need to go back to shamanism or some other religion or someone else, get a witch doctor or medical, you know, whatever. He doesn't do that. He does it the right way. He waits on the Lord. He comes to the Lord. Sometimes, remember this as well, sometimes the experts, he, remember he brought the disciples, disciples, they couldn't cast out the demon. Know this, sometimes the experts aren't the experts. In our world, we have a lot of people that don't even know Christ giving counsel to Christians on all kinds of stuff that are spiritual in nature. That's different than if you have a financial advisor or those things. There's, there's, there's plenty of places where there is actually tried and true wisdom. By the way, and the best wisdom of those things actually come from the Scriptures anyway. Some of them don't even realize it. But there's a lot of people that would be wanting to give advice, wanting to be experts, when they're really not experts in the things that you need most. And the things we need most are wisdom from God. That's why Jesus, one of his names, Isaiah 9, is Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. The Lord is the Wonderful Counselor. There is no other that can take the place of the Word of God and giving us. It has wisdom for all things pertaining to life and godliness. Now what's all things for life? everything in life. All things pertaining to life and godliness. And when you have so-called experts that aren't depending on the Lord, now you can even have believers that you go to, and I, I, I know that you've been walking with the Lord, but if the believer that you're talking to isn't walking in the Lord, they might not be, at that moment, the right person either. And they might have some knowledge. They might have some biblical knowledge, but if they're not depending on the Lord, if they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then we could have some bit of wisdom, but not necessarily exactly what the Lord is 
providing. Not exactly what the Lord, not the power that is necessary in a situation. Now think about the disciples here. They were down there waiting on the Lord. But as they're waiting, why don't, we don't know what they're doing. But at some level, they were not filled with the same power that Jesus had promised that they would have. They've had power in previous chapters. They've gone to, to villages and healed people. What happened different? We'll take a look at that in just a second. But keep that in mind. The so-called experts aren't necessarily also always the expert. And if people, it's not, it, it, the Lord doesn't want me to be a pastor that just knows a lot of stuff. He doesn't want any pastor to know a lot of stuff. He doesn't want you just to know a lot of stuff. Knowledge puffs up. He wants us to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The people across the street to, that I was talking to yesterday, do you know I never broke down any theological deep things with any of them? That's not what they needed. Let's talk about, are you familiar with the following theological concepts? No. They're either in sin, or they have problems, or they have difficulties, or they're in despair, or they're depressed. They, this is the, do you notice that Jesus did not talk to the Father about the, he didn't talk to him about and say, uh, are you fluent in the uh, biblical hermeneutics? He said, I'm confronting your fear and your failures and the situation with your son, right? That requires the power of the Holy Spirit. The other stuff, the knowledge, that will be useful in its place, but in most places, what people need is you and I to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.5 says this, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's a lot of wisdom of men, but wisdom of men won't help in situations like this. Only the power of God. Now that brings us to something that uh, the disciples were told by Jesus at the end. That they, Jesus told them, hey, you couldn't do this, right? And they're like, yeah, we, we, we couldn't. Why? Why? What, what was the problem? What was the, what was the roadblock? And Jesus said, this kind comes through prayer and fasting. Now I want you to think about faith and action linked together. Faith here, action here. The two are linked together. It's like taking blue Play-Doh and red Play-Doh and mixing them together. You can't get them apart once you do that, right? You ever tried to pick every little color piece out of the play When you had younger kids, like, how did the yellow get in here? And you're doing like that, you know. But it doesn't matter. Once it gets in there, it's purple, parts of it. You mix it. Faith and action go hand in hand. Let's look at the last section as we come to a close. Faithful. We understand fear. We understand frustration. We understand that we can actually respond wrongly to fear and wrongly to frustration. But we can also respond correctly to fear and frustration because God allows both in our life how we respond. He wants us to respond by faith, by being faithful. F.B. Meyer said, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. The greatest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. And it's not just prayer, flippantly, it's 
prayer that's genuinely in the presence of the Lord. Think about Jesus told the disciples, you couldn't do it because you didn't apply faith and action together. He didn't use those words, but that's what, if you look at faith and prayer, he said, you didn't pray and fast over this. There was no faith and there was no action. You simply operated on head knowledge. Well, Jesus does like this. I asked you to be healed. Nothing happened. He said, you, you didn't pray or fast. There was no faith and there was no action attached to that faith. Therefore, you were powerless in the situation. You had none of the power of God, but you were saying the right things, at least in front of the crowd. But you had no power over it. And we have to ask ourselves, have you and I, have we, have we really stopped to pray? Have we really stopped to pray? Whatever it is that's troubling us or something God has been impressing upon us to stop and pray, have we stopped and pray? We've talked about praying about it, but haven't actually prayed about it. We've told others about, hey, I need to pray about it, but we haven't prayed about it. We've sent it out on the prayer list and still didn't pray about it. Everyone's done that, Right? Have we really stopped and prayed? Have we fasted and prayed over it? Whatever it is, it's something really, really important. Should we have prayed and fasted over it? Should we have fasted at all? Now, Jesus said, this kind doesn't come. That was in Mark's gospel in chapter 9. He said, this kind doesn't come but by prayer and fasting. What kind is he talking about? Is it only when someone's demon-possessed? Is that what he's saying? Whenever you have a demon possession, you must pray and fast. Now, that might be a very good rule of thumb. Whenever someone is demon-possessed, we should pray and fast. And I think that that would be always appropriate when someone is demon-possessed. But I don't think he's just limiting this to demon possession, do you? He says this kind, what kind? Not every single thing requires fasting. You're like, because I was hungry. Not everything requires fasting. I don't fast seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You know, there's lots of things that don't require fasting. You're thinking, great, I hope that's most everything. Not everything requires it. Sometimes we won't even have the time or opportunity to fast. There's things that happen in a New York minute that all you can do is immediately pray, Lord, I'm going to fast for the next 10 seconds. Not everything requires it, but some things do require fasting. And many believers have neglected it, myself included, to our own detriment. There's things that could have been defeated long ago. The Lord said, had you prayed and fasted over it. But you didn't, and you still haven't. And the Lord says, until you do, you will not see victory in certain things. Now, you and I, oh, we don't like that at all. But Jesus said it. He said, this kind doesn't come but prior. He doesn't even give a disclaimer. There's not even a footnote. Exceptions are the following. He says it. These kind don't come. Paul said he fasted often. Why? Because Paul had a lot of things often needing that type of faith plus action working together. Faith and action working together. Faith and action working together. There was those times that Paul said, I'm just going to have to fast. And sometimes it, God's not asking, he might say, just fast lunch over this. Just fast lunch over it. The kind that he's speaking of 
Say, what, what things are they? Because there's a million things. Which ones would I, should I be fasting over? Which ones should I shouldn't? Here's where it comes down to. The kind that Jesus is speaking of is actually where we have that relationship with him, that we actually hear his voice, that still small voice, calling us to stop whatever it is we're doing and pray, calling us to fast, calling us to get along with the Lord. Where's that relationship with the Lord saying, hey, I know you're planning on doing this, Take the next 15 minutes to pray and just fast from Facebook the rest of the day. Oh, no way. How would I know what's going on? Guess what? God still has all that covered. What someone else had for breakfast. Right? He'll let you know if it's important. But anything. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes he wants you to fast from the TV. Sometimes just... The Lord will say, hey, remove the distractions so you're hearing from me. Fast over these things. Some of them are food. Some of them are not. Uh, food is going to be the primary one you'll find in Scripture. But he calls us to step away from something that is important, sometimes even important, for something more important. More important. More needing victory. If we're walking in fellowship with the Lord, and we're walking in closeness with the Lord, we're going to know when to pray, and when to fast. Isn't that great? No one can give you, no pastor, no one can give you a formula that says, all right, this is how you do it. Fast this day, this day, this day, these minutes, this this time, this time. Now, there are things where we will come together and fast together over. That's called a sacred assembly fast. Yes, those things make sense. Hey, we are all going to fast over Pastor Said on this day. That's different. But I'm talking about trials and tribulations and things and difficulties. The Lord will tell you, hey, I want you to fast today for this. I want you to fast breakfast. I want you to fast lunch. I want you to fast all the way to dinner. Whatever it is. I want you to fast from the media. I want you to fast from this over here. And they're, they're like popcorn. They might happen at different times. They might go weeks without one. Some people dedicate a certain day every week. The Lord has put that on your heart. But as you walk with the Lord, if you're walking in fellowship, he will show you these things. And we'll have a peace about it. When to fast, how long to fast, what, what is necessary. We'll have that peace about it. And we're not doing it alone, and we're not doing it in our own strength. Isn't that great? Uh, not re- recently, the Lord led me to fast one, one particular day. And it's funny because I didn't look at my calendar, and that day I had to do a lot of physical activity, a lot compared to my normal schedule. And that was the day I, I chose to fast. Now, really, I didn't choose to fast. The Lord chose that day for me to fast. And then I realized that God had set me up for that day. Because I would have said, oh, no, no, I'll do it tomorrow when I don't have as much physical activity. And said, no, you're doing it today because you'll show that the physical activity that you have to do is not so dependent on your nutritious diet. Which will prepare us. If there's ever lean times in the future, we'll be well prepared for that kind of stuff. Amen? People in the Great Depression, they, got, they learned, wow, you might only eat once a day. They, they learned about that. We, the God, you know, that's other things, a uh, totally different topic, but the Lord wants us to fast and these things and then pray. And if we don't, if we don't pray while we fast, then we've wasted our fast anyway. Got to stop and pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you is faithful, he will do it. Isn't that great? He's going to help us do these things. But the faith, it comes from being in fellowship with God. 
being with the Lord, learning from God, hearing from God. Jesus, remember, he had gone up to the mountain to pray. He got up to the mountain to pray. That's what he was doing. That's why he brought Peter, James, and John, and there he was going to reveal more of his glory, but it started with prayer. They, the other nine, they were down in the valley. And guess what? Jesus wasn't with them, not physically. He was not with them. They were used to always having him around. He wasn't with them. So they very well might have begun to do what we would call going through the motions until he returned. Does that sound familiar? We could go through the motions until Jesus returns and have no power. And the world wonders why you Christians aren't any, you have no more power than I do. You need all the same stuff we need. You need the same medications. You need the same, you need the same amount of uh, alcohol to take off the edge. You need this. You need that. You need all the same things that we need. You watch just as many movies as we do. You do all the same stuff we do. You have no difference except for you go to church on Sunday morning. Big deal. I'm going to stay home and cut my grass. Right? That's what the world, they look on and say, where is the power? You guys talk about this power in the blood. Where? That's what they say. You think, yeah, I bet you some of our unsaved people that have looked at our lives at times, myself included, have mocked us from behind. So they talk about how spiritual, oh, it's wonderful. They, they complain about the same things we complain about. We heard them whining about the news. We heard them doing this. We heard them whining about the boss. We heard them, you know, gossiping about somebody else because there's no power there. We bring them to your disciples, but your disciples, they couldn't do anything. And Jesus said, I think I know why. While I was away, they might have been going through the motions, just kind of trusting in the information that they received way back when I was with them was enough, and they didn't stay and wait upon me. They didn't fast. They didn't pray. He's up on the mountain fasting and praying. What are they doing? We walk with Jesus. That's what it says in Genesis. You do it, right? No power there. There was no spiritual power in what they were doing because it was of the flesh rather than of the Holy Spirit. And you and I can be of the flesh, and we're not going to have power. Man, I, so I, had, I had an opportunity to witness. I hit a softball and didn't say a word. And then you remember, oh, I didn't have any time in the Word with God today. I didn't pray today. No wonder I didn't know what to say because the Word was not coming forth like springs of living water. These things are important. There's a danger for us to have spiritual and biblical knowledge, but not be empowered by faith and the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? There's a danger for everyone here to have biblical knowledge. Me as a pastor, I have enough knowledge about the Bible that I could preach a lot of sermons and not even study for them if I didn't want to. And yet the Lord says, yeah, you could do that, but you'll have no power whatsoever. And what good is it to tell people stuff if there's not the power of the Holy Spirit? Amen? wants us to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 23. What that means is we, sit, we take that faith in action and we move forward in faith. And the Romans, um, Romans 14, 23 says, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Well, that's a heavy verse, isn't it? God wants us to know that what we're doing is being led by faith. Faith is obedience to God. Faith is saying, Lord, I know you say to do it this way, I'll do it that way. 
I know you say to share the gospel, I will. I know you say to gather with my brothers and sisters, I will. I know you say to meditate on your word, I will. I know you say to fast, I will. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Faith in the Holy Spirit. Faith in the Holy Spirit. Faith in action. Faith in action together. Faith in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit activates the power when our faith is pure. When our faith is pure. And that purity is simply coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, let me start afresh and anew. Isn't that great? Let me start afresh and anew. That's what it comes down to. Uh, our access to God, the access to the presence of God, the cleansing of God, the leading of God, it all starts here. You're here with me this morning. We're all the same thing I'm teaching you, I'm teaching me, and the Holy Spirit's teaching us. Does that make sense? I'm teaching you, I'm teaching me, and the Holy Spirit's teaching us because the Lord wants the Word to wash all of us, and then so we will be able to go and actually have power instead of being powerless and have faith instead of being faithless. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time this morning in your Word. Lord, we ask that you would it, for each and every one of us, Lord, if we've been walking in the flesh, if we've been walking in fear, if we've been walking in frustration, Lord, that we would just simply come and lay these things at your feet and just ask for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, Lord. We know that you desire to fill us with power. You said in Acts 1 out, 1 8, that you would give us power to be your witnesses. And Lord, forgive us for going through the motions. Forgive us, Lord, be, for being dominated by anxiety or fear. Forgive us, Lord, uh, for being dominated by self-centeredness or any of the things, Lord, that are not from faith. Faith, Lord, is to simply, we know, to follow you wherever you go, to hear your voice and to heed your voice. And I just ask, Lord, you're just cleansing upon each and every one of us, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would fill us with faith and drive fear out of our lives. Lord, if we have frustration, that we would not give in to frustration as Abraham and Sarah did, but Lord, we would continue to wait as this Father did bring our things to you. But we thank you for the mercy that even with Abraham and Sarah, Lord, you went on to do great things. And matter of fact, according to Romans 4, Father, we are of the same faith of Abraham, that saving faith. And Lord, we just pray that you would do a work of restoration and refreshing in our midst. Lord, we would take it beyond these four walls. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.